Future-proof gold from Newstalk. We're often told that we're a visual species. When we ask someone to describe an animal or a machine or a landscape, we always describe what it looks like first. But our next guest would argue that our ears give us just as much information as our eyes. Seth Horowitz is the author of The Universal Sense and he joins us on the programme now. Hi Seth, how are you? Good morning, I'm doing well. How are you doing, John? I'm doing very well. And I suppose uh, our ability to hear is one of those senses that we we really don't think about a huge amount. But we were very much about what we see, aren't we, as a species? Well, we pay attention to vision automatically. You know, we're a, you know, we're primates. Primates have great color vision, in, at least in the daytime. And that's what we tend to automatically link our attention to. But the reason people don't usually pay attention to sound and hearing as much is because sound is our early warning system. It goes on in the background. It even runs when you're sleeping. So that we've evolved systems that let us hear very, very well, but we often don't pay our attention to it. So we have to sort of stop and shift our attention to something that we're listening to so that we can bring it to the front. I'm trying to think now, when we see, obviously we need to be conscious to see things in front of us, I suppose partly is that is because we have our eyes open, but even if we had our even if we didn't have eyelids, we'd still need to be conscious to look around. But hearing is something that goes on subconsciously, and of course we do hear in our sleep. How is that possible? Because vision is something that is distributed throughout the human brain. There's uh, uh, an old neuroscience line that there's no place in the human brain you can't get a visual response. Sleep is more discreet. Sleep, uh, sound, rather, sound rather, is something that gets into the brain stem and distributes much more quickly to a lot of our unconscious processes than to our conscious processes. It's, it gets into our brain stem to make us startle if we hear something. You can't startle for something you see. You can turn your head if it's in the corner of your eye, but you don't get that jump up, hunch your shoulders, and quickly look around. Hmm. That's an automatic defense system. Yeah, it's, I mean, it is quite primal when you think about it. That, that, that defense system is put into place very often these days. I have an 18-month-old son, and when he starts crying, oh, Lord. I mean, I literally just jump out of bed, and, and my bo- entire body tenses, and I think, what's wrong? And then I'm like, oh, the baby's crying, and then I slowly put on my slippers and walk in. Uh, uh, but, but I suppose, yeah, I never really thought that um, our ability to hear uh, gives us so much information in terms of, of the dangers around us. Right, and you just brought up a great point, the fact that you know, especially new parents, uh, if a ba- baby starts crying, especially if it's your child, it's an alarming thing. Your ears will lock onto it. A baby's cry is right at the top end of most people's normal hearing range, and it just brings our attention right to the fore of what's making that sound. Of course, if it's not your child and you're stuck on an airplane with it, it's just a source of annoyance because <laughs> it's still in your best hearing area, but it doesn't have anything to do to you. So it brings up a different set of emotional responses to it. Well, uh, you, you, you made a point there about the frequency. I mean, are there certain sounds that we find universally annoying if we hear a sound um, like, the, you know, the, the, the nails on a blackboard? Why is that so annoying to everybody? There are a few sounds that are universally annoying. Uh, the fingernails on a blackboard is something that it, does, it didn't get enough study and enough love in science. It's, uh, there was a, a great quote, and I think it was by Lord Kelvin, who says it takes a very peculiar mind to study the obvious. And everyone hates fingers on the blackboard. And there was only one published study on it by Halpern et al. And what they did was they examined horrible sounds. And the paper was titled The Psychoacoustics of a Chilling Sound. And they looked at fingernails on a blackboard, metal rake on a concrete, which I particularly hate, or styrofoam rubbing on a balloon. Mm. And their claim was that it was about the frequency, the specific frequency 
that seem to be the same as what's called the primate alarm call, that primates in distress, especially baby primates, put out the scream and it automatically grabs your attention and it's unpleasant. And no one has, everyone's talked about this, but no one really studied it. And I was lucky enough to get a student who was really interested in this, and we haven't published the study, uh, basically because he graduated. But what he started looking at was, okay, let's take fingernails on a blackboard and let's take elements of it and shift the frequency around and see if you still get that response. Take the shape of the sound in time, slap it over a piece of music, put it over a piece of speech. And what he found was that, it, what we found with this was that it wasn't the frequency per se. You can get this response even to speech or classical music, but it was rather the fine-grained time. If you look at the shape of a sound of fingernails on the blackboard, it's almost periodic. Human speech is periodic, which means it sounds harmonic. It's regular. It's mathematically normal to our brain, and sound is about math. It's the only math we all really get. But it turns out if you have run fingernails down a blackboard, it's, it throws in enough randomness that it just sets all the neural expectations in your ear and brain off by a bit. Oh, I mean, I think uh, uh, composers do use this when they want to create a, a chilling score for uh, a, a horror movie. They they yes. put in discord, and I think there was, there was a composer I was thinking about a long time ago that used this sort of discord that, um, because you don't expect it, it makes you feel very uncomfortable. Is that what you mean, yes. these unnatural sounds? That's part of it. The other part that we found was the only other sound that we could find that was really close to this in the way the, the, this discord, this temporal discord would pop up was if you take a person screaming at the top of their lungs. It has the same kind of pseudo-periodic, periodic, partially random sound. And when people talk, they make harmonic sounds. Um, can, we, can, can we try something um, on, on the program now, Seth? What, what, sure. what, why don't we try and see if, if uh, uh, we can re recreate this? Because I'm, tr I'm thinking now, if we played the sound of nails on a blackboard, it wouldn't have the same uh, back hairs raising up uh, effect on our listeners. W w would that be right? Or, I mean, can we recreate this if it's not actually a blackboard? If we, it's a sound of a blackboard, will it still be as annoying as a sound? Oh, it can be. It depends on the quality of uh, what people are listening to it through. If you're listening to it, listening to the show on a bad cell phone or cheap laptop speakers, there's a good chance that it's not going to have enough quality, enough resolution to get an effect. Right. But there are some people who are hypersensitive to it. But it's certainly worth trying. All right. Well, let's let's see. I would like you to let us know how you feel about this. Um, uh, this is the sound of nails on a blackboard. If you do hate it, we'll be back in three seconds. Now that noise just drives me. Uh, that that I'm re that I really just can't bear that particular noise. I, I mean, if you were to take that one step further, I mean, if you were to expose people to this sort of noise for a long period of time, could you actually Im Im impose a, a mental state on them? Is that possible? Is it possible to alter someone's mood negatively with sound? Oh, easily. Um, actually, one of the problems that uh, people have come up with, especially people who do sound design is that it's much easier to come up with sounds that are irritating or induce fear or startle than it is to come up with a sound that makes you love them or makes them happy without resorting to just sort of classical music, musical notes and musical phrases. And it's because, again, sound is an early warning system. It's usually there to warn you that something's wrong or something you should be paying attention to. So it's much easier to come up with sounds that are horrible. You really piqued my interest with that because 
I, I do know, uh, obviously, there are some sounds that people associate with happiness. You know, it might be the sound of the beach, right. etc. But you said, it said it's more difficult to find sounds that make people fall in love with you. Is it possible to manipulate people's emotions with sound? Yes, absolutely. I mean, if you think about it, music is all about emotional mun- uh, manipulation. Whether it's in a movie or just a piece of music itself, it's about emotional communication. Uh, this is why so many of us can have favorite songs for years and still have no idea what the lyrics really say. Hmm. The lyrics that... Uh, sorry, that's a dog expressing his displeasure with me. No, that's fine. Sound around here. It's all about sound. But, the, uh, but coming up with sounds that are universally hated is easy. You know, fingernails on a blackboard, a baby screaming. Um, an extremely loud noise. Coming up with sounds that is universally loved is tougher because we bring things that are positive takes a lot more psychological uh, history. You may absolutely love cats, and the sound of a cat purring makes you happy and relaxed. But I've, you know, I've done a demo where I was playing with different sounds that people liked or people didn't like, and I had played the sound of a cat purring and. Most people loved it, but there was one student, you could just see her sort of sitting there shuddering, and she hated cats. And so this sound that right. most people liked upset her tremendously. So uh, I, I was in my mind, I kind of ran away with myself, and I was imagining there was a particular sound or a frequency that you could play that would make people find you more attractive. I mean, if that was possible, that would be pretty impressive. But you're saying how we react to sound does depend on, on what we associate that sound with. But aren't there ways of making people feel very uncomfortable with sound? Wasn't there a, a, a brown noise? Is that is that a, a true story? Is that a myth where, where you okay. could point a, a, a sound wave at someone and make them... Um, soil themselves. Is that was that true? It, it's an, or, uh, an urban myth. The, uh, they, you know, unfortunately, South Park made it really popular. But there are <laughs> sounds that can make you feel physically ill. I mean, I've run into them. Um, very low frequency sounds can have a very profound effect on your body without even involving your ears very much. I had an experience many years back when I was an electronic musician. I was playing with a very large amplifier standing in front of it and trying to program some peculiar sounds, and my cat jumped on it, I played the sound anyway, and I turned to face it, and just as the sound went off, it was a very distorted amplifier with the control circuit cut out, and I was hit with probably 140 decibels of these very low-frequency random sounds, and I threw up. So wow. it's not the brown sound, but it, it's because... The green sound. <laughs> it was something. <laughs> Chunky sound. But wasn't there the, 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 the walls of Jericho? Um, you know, if you're, that if you have enough sound, you could oscillate the atoms of whatever it is you're pointing the sound at and it, it could explode. I mean, isn't that theoretically possible? Can, can, can we destroy walls with sound? Well, not with the kind of sound that uh, humans would come up with or that Joshua would have had available, even through with several hundred shofars blowing at the same time. Sound can certainly be used to manipulate physical objects. I mean, there was just an article that sound is being used to separate cells. Uh, sound can be used properly structured to, ref- to cause refrigeration because you can stop the molecules of air if you have two speakers facing each other, and they'll suddenly get cold. Wow. There are a lot of physical effects. High-powered sound pointing right at your belly can actually interfere with your breathing because, let's say, if you have a sound pulse every half second and it's 160 decibels, which is far too dangerous to ever be around, it will compress your chest and interfere with your breathing. So there are physical effects, but a lot of them are not auditory-based. It's just moving vast amounts of molecules against your body, which is largely a big sack. Right. 
What, what about the, the lack of sound? What about a complete silence? I mean, can we ever truly hear nothing? Because even if we're in a, a, an isolated sound booth, we'll hear the sound of our own bodies, won't we? I mean, could we? Because as a human, could we ever experience one hundred percent silence? Not while you're alive, hmm. uh, or, or if you're completely deaf, and it's just a matter of your hearing is so sensitive, and this is just normal human hearing. The difference between the maximum and the minimum pressures that you can hear is one trillion. If you go into a sound booth or an anechoic room, the first thing you'll start hearing after a while when you stop saying, gosh, it's quiet in here, is you'll start hearing what's called pulsatile tinnitus, the sound of your own heartbeat in your ears. And eventually you'll habituate to that and it'll go away and you start hearing this weird hissing sound. And that hissing sound because there's nothing else going on, your inner ear actually has mechanisms to amplify. And if there's no sound, your brain knows there's something wrong because there's nowhere on Earth that's dead silent. We may talk about quiet, but there is no place where there's matter and, and energy that's silent. So your brain starts saying, okay, let's turn up the gain. And there are little motors in your ear and outer hair cells that increase the amplification. And you will eventually start hearing the sound of molecules banging around in your ear canal. No. That is absolutely mind-blowing. So uh, how, how do we know that? Uh, because there have been a lot of studies. You study, if you work in acoustics, you usually have access to a room where they do their absolute best to make the place as quiet as possible. They carpet the walls. They put up foam. Some put up active interference systems. They float the room, which means that you can't even get vibrations from the building, which is, can be a major source of low-frequency sound. And if you can convince you know, your students to be very quiet in that room and not check their phone, there's nothing going on. The molecules are sort of randomly moving around, and you'll just start hearing things that are from your own body or are just the randomly generated sounds from stuff in and around your head. Uh, you've got you've just put something on my to-do list, uh, Seth. That's <laughs> Seth Horowitz. Uh, I could talk to you all, all night. Uh, absolutely fascinating speaking to you. Um, the book is called... The Universal Sense, How Hearing Shapes the Mind. Thank you so much for taking time out to talk to us today. Thank you so much.